Awesome. Thank you, Noah. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Clayton. Like Noah said, I'm the pastor here at Central, and I'm glad you guys are with us. Hey, I just want to say thank you to all of our, our church family uh, for, for being a big part of yesterday, our Christmas town. It was fantastic. It was amazing. Hope you guys have seen all the sets and everything we did. It was, uh, go on Facebook. There's tons of, and uh, social media, there's tons of different examples of everything we did. And I got to see all the people. Man, it was, it was a great day. Uh, it was the church being the church. Really, that's what it was. And uh, so thank you for doing that. Uh, because we are a church for our community, and that's why we exist. And so uh, it was a great example of that yesterday. And I just wanted to say thank you to all of our people for doing that, as well as uh, to everybody that's, that's here today, maybe for the very first time and you came yesterday and you came back again today. Thank you for being here. We're, we're a church that's for you. We want you to feel comfortable and to be able to hear about Jesus uh, together uh, with our church family. So thank you guys for being here. If you'd like to follow along with today's message QR codes are up on the screen everywhere. Just take your phone. You can uh, scan the QR codes. It'll take you right to the notes um, for today, for today's um, message. Well, <clears throat> Christmas is coming fast, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's happening. We're, we are there. And you don't need a calendar in our culture to know that Christmas is here. All you got to do is go on Netflix, and you'll see all the top movies that are recommended. And they're like almost all Christmas you know, uh, shows, either like Die Hard or Home Alone. I mean, it's just they magically appear right around this time for you to watch. Or... You can go on the Hallmark Channel, and it's always full of Christmas um, movies. And they're all the same, aren't they? Exactly the same. Some girl used to live in a small hometown. She's in a big city. It's not going well. She comes home, and she meets this guy that she hadn't seen in a long time. They fall in love. Like, it just, it always happens, right? It's the exact same. And it's just on repeat. You know, it just happens throughout the, the, throughout the, the month of, of December. Nothing but Christmas movies, Right? Well, in, uh, in the church, we're going to be talking about, over the next couple weeks, nothing but Jesus. The next two weeks, we're going to be focusing on him because he is the reason why we celebrate Christmas every single year. Well, when we're in the middle of Christmas, we're also thinking about giving gifts. And I just want to encourage you, make sure you get your gifts uh, purchased ahead of time um, this year. Man, I-, I was thinking about the top five recurring gifts that the people get every single Christmas. You guys know what they are? The first one is clothing. Okay, clothing is always one of the big gifts, and you know it's clothing because it's in that, that box. You know the shape of the box. I mean, you just can look at the presents underneath there. That's clothes, that's clothes, that's clothes, that's clothes. You know which ones are, are, are clothing inside the box, the white box. But the, people also give, one of the other gifts is, is candy or chocolate. That's a, a top five recurring gift, and so maybe it's in your stocking. Some people like to make something, um, so it's a homemade gift, and you might get those in your uh, in, as a Christmas present under the tree this year. I like practical gifts. That's a top five gift. Okay, so I love to give practical gifts. I love getting practical gifts. That's why I think flowers are worthless because they're just going to die. And so I don't like flowers. And so I like practical gifts. That's a top five. And the, the last gift that's on the top five lift, list is gift cards or money. Just, you know, when you just can't figure out what that person wants, you just get them a Academy gift card, you know, and they can go and get everything they want or whatever, like a Home Depot card, and they can just, they can just go to town um, later and get what they want. So I was also thinking about not only the top five gifts, but what are the top five verses in the Bible? So you guys have probably some ideas of what your, your favorite verses are. You got like John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. You have Genesis 1.1. A lot of people open the Bible and start reading from there, you know. Um, In in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, or we see it on mugs, on t-shirts, the Jeremiah 29, 11, 
You guys, you guys know that one, right? For, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. We take that verse out of context all the time, right? We also take Philippians 4 13 out of context all the time. Like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's another top five verse. But I was thinking, what is, what is the other verse that's in the top five? And this morning, I want to present to you what I believe is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. And it's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and it's verse 14. Here's, here it is up on the screen. The Bible says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is an incredibly significant verse in the Bible. It's like an engine to a jet, okay? Or it is, it's like wheels to a car. Without those things, nothing happens. And without the truth that's found in this verse, the Bible doesn't make sense. And without the truth that's in this verse, Christmas is nothing. And so over the next couple weeks, we're just going to sit in this verse. In fact, today, we're going to rest in just the first few words of this verse. And we kind of break it down for you today. And the first word is word. Okay. Why in the Bible, especially in this verse, does it say, and the word became flesh? What in the world does the word mean? Well, the word is a translation from the Greek word logos. And logos just means this idea, this ex- expression of a, of a thought. It's this message of God. And so Hebrew people used, would hear the word logos in Greek, and they would understand what, exactly what that meant. And logos is used throughout Scripture to describe the written message of God. Like, for example, in Hebrews, around here in this, this verse, Hebrews 4, it says this, For the word of God, so the logos, okay, is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It's cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, and exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. It's describing the word of God, okay? The Bible as the scriptures is, is the word of God. But in this verse, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it's saying that Jesus, it's given a title for Jesus, saying Jesus is the word. And now my question is, why didn't John just say Jesus, you know? Why does he have to be all cryptic here and describe Jesus as the word? Like, what is the, what is the purpose of that? Well, I think John did that because he's a genius. This was a brilliant move on his part because there were two different groups reading the Gospel of John. One were, was Hebrew people, Jewish people, and one was Greek people. So they were non-Jewish people. To the Jew, the word logos, the word word, meant a message from God out of Scripture. And to the Greek people who are not followers of God, it was this word logos is this idea of this supernatural divine reason or thought. Both of them kind of pointed towards divinity, like like God. And so John, he was in a way introducing both groups to Jesus as the logos, as divine. Does that make sense? He's killing two birds with one stone, really, by using this phrase. So the word equals God, and what John is saying is that Jesus is, is God. And so, so it says, and the word does something. The word became flesh. In John chapter 1, and throughout that entire chapter, 
he uses this phrase over and over again, saying the word, talking about Jesus as God. And what it says in John chapter 1, earlier before verse 14, it says that the word has always been, okay? And I think it's really important to understand that he's saying that Jesus as God has always been. He, didn't, he wasn't created 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem when he was, he was born. He didn't come alive during that time. When it says become flesh, it doesn't mean that he started during that time. What he's saying is something completely different. That Jesus has, has always been. But then he became flesh. And this idea means, is really meaning that he transformed or he arrived on the scene as, as a human. What we call this in church terms is called the incarnation. That Jesus was the word, he was fully God, and he became flesh, fully human at the same time. This morning, I'm on like my fifth cup of coffee right now, okay? Every morning when I pour my coffee, I, uh, I put just a little bit of half and half in. Anybody half and half people around here? How many of you guys are like the French vanilla creamer people, and you just like bloop, 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 like just pour it all in there, okay? <clears throat> well, your, your coffee transforms. Like there is no going back once you put all of that creamer in there. There's no way to separate it or to, to, to make it back to, to just regular old coffee anymore. And that's kind of a great example of, of what Jesus, what happened to Jesus when he transformed into being, being 100% God and 100% man at the exact same time. But some people believe that Jesus, okay, Jesus is fully God, but he didn't really become a man. In some way, he kind of just appeared like a man. Like when you, when you take water and oil and you mix it together. It'll mix for a second, but then it, it begins to quickly separate. And so they, they, people say that, you know, Jesus wasn't fully either, okay? But look what Philippians chapter 2 says. It says this, talking to Christians, says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, okay, he's God, fully God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. This is talking about the humanity of Jesus right here. Think about what Jesus did as a, as a human. You want, if you want to know if he's really fully 100% man, think about this. He slept. He got tired. He ate food. He drank he sweat. He expressed emotions. He had fear. He had joy. He had sorrow. He understood what it meant to be angry. But the purpose of Jesus becoming a man wasn't so that he could have those emotions or to do those things. His purpose was to become a man so that he could be the savior for mankind. That is his purpose of becoming a man. The Bible is clear that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's what the Old Testament is all about, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And if Jesus did not become a full, fully a man, then, then he couldn't have, have done what he did by dying on the cross for us. Shedding blood requires that there actually is a body that's full of blood that sheds it. That makes sense? And so this is, when he talks about the incarnation, the word became flesh, what it's saying is that God himself, fully God, became fully a, a man and died for us. 
In fact, Jesus is having this conversation with God, the Father, and he describes this in Hebrews chapter 10. He says this, this is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, okay? So it's kind of crazy, We're talking about the Trinity here, multiple you know, parts of God here, but it says this. He say, he's talking to God the Father. He says, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings. He's talking about the Old Testament, okay? But you have given me a body to offer. So Jesus was just kind of floating around as a spirit and didn't really feel pain and didn't have to take naps and, and eat and all those kind of things that he wouldn't be fully man. But he says, you gave me a body to offer. You were, you were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. So the word became flesh. Now that's not easy to understand. And so I want to give you just like a simple sentence that maybe helps us to understand a little bit better. Here, here's, here's what I think the Bible's saying right here. That God arrived on the scene in human form. That kind of makes more sense, right? That God arrived on, on the scene in the world in human form. And that's what Jesus is all about. That is what the Christmas story is all about. And this phrase is incredibly life-changing and world-shaping. So here's what I'd like to do. Let's look at how all of this happened. So if you turn to Luke chapter 2, that's where we get this great description of the birth of Jesus. Let me, let me read some of it to you today. In Luke chapter 2, the Bible says, At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Like, okay, so why is all this in Scripture? Throughout the Bible, there's all this kind of stuff, all this historical stuff, because it actually happened. Like, you can go and test this. And you're like, oh, yes, there was this guy, Augustus. There was this guy, Quirinius. You can find out the exact time when they were in, in power. Verse 3 says, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph, so Jesus' adopted earthly father, he was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea because that's David's ancient home. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And so I want you guys to be able to visualize this this morning. So we're not just going to look at scripture, we're going to look at some stuff. So let me, let me show you some things on the screen here. First picture here is just a map. Okay, this is a map of first century Israel. You got the Sea of Galilee up here. You got the Dead Sea down here. Jerusalem is right over here. <coughs> okay, so right up here, I'll point to on the small screen, but you can look on the big screen. Right up here is Nazareth. Okay, it's in the hill country, up on the top of a mountain, this little town, that's where, that's where Mary and Joseph are from. And when Mary was nine months pregnant, they took their time and traveled south all the way down to Bethlehem. Now, there's two different routes. They either went through the mountains or they went down over here, kind of out of the way, like a detour, but got to this flat part along the Dead Sea, or sorry, the Jordan River, and went all the way down till they hit Jericho. Then they went up in the mountains again to Jerusalem and then about six miles south to Bethlehem. Now, when you think about like the story of, of Mary and Joseph, how many of you guys think of like this beautiful picture of Joseph leading this donkey, you know, and Mary's just sitting on top, but, but like Mary's nine months pregnant, okay? Men in the room? If your wife, if you've had, if you had a child already and... You, when your wife is nine months pregnant, we're like, we're not going on any trips. You know what I'm saying? 
Like, we're not going. We're just not doing it. Like, it's going to go bad really quick. And so this, this trip took, uh, in, with, with two, like, capable people, would have taken an entire week. So it probably took a lot longer than that. And they wouldn't have gone alone. That had been very dangerous to do that. But you can imagine throughout the, all of, all of the, the country, everybody's moving around, going to, it's like, it's like Thanksgiving weekend, okay? And everybody's, like, going back home. And so there's people everywhere. They're probably with a caravan of other people because it was safer. And it took them at least a week, 80 miles, to get to Bethlehem. And here's what happens in verse 6. <coughs> and while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in snugly, snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And so most of us have this idea of this barn, right? And the hay and the animals lowing or whatever that means. I don't know, okay, right? And so the, the, all these animals around and all that kind of stuff. But in reality, they, they showed up to an ancestral home, okay, to one of their relatives. That's where you would stay. There's only two different ways that you would stay somewhere back in the day. There was no, like, Holiday Inn Express back then, okay? The, I always had this idea of this, the, there was, like, no room in the inn and, like, says no vacancy and bright, or, you know, neon lights and, you, you know, that, that kind of thing. But the truth is, is there's only two places they could have stayed. One would have been this, this large gathering place that was only in big cities. And Bethlehem wasn't a big city, so it probably wasn't like this. It was a large gathering place. You could keep your, your animals that you were traveling with um, right there. It was like the parking lot for your animals. And you would kind of stay outside but kind of under some covering tent areas. And you kind of stay safe that way. But there, Bethlehem was so small that it probably didn't have that. And so they probably would have stayed in, in a home. Let me show you a picture of a house in first century okay, Israel. And so this is kind of a cutout, but the, the top floor is where everybody stayed, where he lived. And this would have been a, fully, uh, a full floor, but it's cut out so you can see what's underneath. But underneath is that's where they'd store everything. That's where they kept all their belongings but they also kept their animals down below. And one of the reasons they did that is because in wintertime, it was actually made the house warmer because you had those warm bodies underneath, and it would kind of keep the, the house warm. But that's where they would keep the animals. They either kept them in a part of the house down below, or sometimes people would get lucky, and they would own land that had a cave on the kind of the hillside. And they would actually build the house on top of that, and they would keep all the animals down below in the cave. And we believe that that's where Jesus was born, not in a wooden barn but probably down in a cave right outside of the ancestral home. There was no room for them to stay up above, and so Jesus was born down there. A couple months ago, we had the, the privilege to go to Israel for the first time. Incredible experience. I, I highly recommend that you go. When we go again, sign up for it. It is life-changing. And we got to see some, some incredible things, and one of them was a, an actual manger. So you think of a manger and what that actually looks like. We... Yesterday, we brought out a, a wooden manger with the hay and everything, and you're thinking of that. And here in America, we always think of mangers as being wooden, but usually because we've seen drawings and pictures of medieval mangers, and it's kind of our influence from Europe. But back, th back then, in that, at that time, they didn't have a whole lot of wood, and so they actually built things out of stone. Here's a picture of an actual manger that I took in Israel back in October. And this, this manger is completely carved out of wood. Now, this is really interesting because I always thought that when they put Jesus in a manger, like, that's the son of God. Why would you put him in there? That's gross and nasty. But back then, things could be spiritually clean and spiritually dirty. And a pot, like someone made and, and created, 
if it got spiritually dirty, they would have to just throw it away. They'd literally just, just throw it against the wall and break it, and it's unusable again. But if something was carved out of actual stone, it could never be spiritually dirty. Think about that. Jesus was put not in some place that's gross and nasty, but he was put in some place that was clean, spiritually clean. And he was put in these, this stone manger down below. And all this took place in the town of Bethlehem. Here's kind of a, an artist's rendering of the, it's not great to be able to see, but, but you can see there's all these hills everywhere, very mountainous area. Jerusalem, there's a road going to Jerusalem kind of off of this picture. But right where the yellow is, that's about where, where the, the ancient village of Bethlehem was. It's kind of just on top of the hill. If you go there today, it's full. It's like a big city. It's just crazy. There's people all over the place. But right here where this little box is, that's where they believe that Jesus was actually born. And here's what I hope happens today. That you will see that this story is, is actually real. We got to erase this idea of like the cartoon version of Jesus, like the cartoon VBS version, you know what I'm talking about? I think what happens is for us, at least it happens for me, is that I always kind of thought of things, the story, the Bible as being so distant. That's not actually, didn't, I mean, for some weird reason, it didn't actually maybe happen. Or I'm so, I'm so far removed um, from that. But we got to realize that this is a real place. Like Bethlehem is a real town. It's not in some alternative universe. Like you can go there today and seal all of those things. In fact, let me show you how that can happen. Watch this. Here's Central. Here's all you got to do. You just kind of fly up, go across America, go across the Atlantic. You can see Africa on your right. There's the Mediterranean. And if you go all the way down, that's the modern city of Bethlehem. And if you zoom all the way into the top of this hill, there's this church right here. This church is called the Church of the Nativity. And if you go there, you can go down to the place where Jesus, where most people believe that he was actually born. You can go and see it. You can go and touch it. It's crazy. This church, it's about 1,700 years old, okay? And over time, it's been built up in many different ways, but this is crazy. There's this little door around here to get in. You want to see how big this door is? Go to the next picture. There's me in front of the door, okay? Uh, it's kind of goofy. Um, I'm either a giant in this picture or this is just a tiny door. <coughs> tiny door. But the door was used to be bigger a long time ago. But in the Middle Ages, people used to ride their horses in there. And they're like, we're not doing that anymore. So we're going to build a door that only people can fit in, you know? And so, uh, and so they built this low door and you have, to, you have to stoop down and walk underneath there. But once you go in, here's what the inside looks like. Beautiful. There's all these, these pillars and these pillar, the, the, the crusaders. About a thousand years ago, they painted the, these, these images on these pillars. It's beautiful. There's mosaics everywhere. But the Eastern Orthodox Church owns it. And so they have their style. Like we have our style. This is their style, all the gold and all the trinkets and everything. And so you go there. You can walk. This is us. We're going to get in this long, giant line and stay there for like two, two hours. Um, it was crazy. But behind all of this gold is this, this one little area that you can, you can go down to. Go to this next picture. This next picture is this, you go down this lower into this little, this little doorway. And down in here is where the cave is. 
Now, it doesn't, didn't look like that when we went. Here's what it actually looked like when we were there. This is the actual picture of us trying to, like, cram our, our way in there. Everybody's, like, pushing and fighting. Everybody's like, we love Jesus, but get out of my way. I'm here, okay? And so um, that's kind of how, how it went. And it was just, it was crazy, insane. And we went down into this, into this uh, they call it the, the grotto, okay, where the cave was. And go to this next picture. This is kind of, this is what, exactly what it looks like. Now, this is their style, right? It's got all the things hanging everywhere. This is the way the, way the Eastern Orthodox, um, their, their style is. But on this marble st- uh, floor around here, there's this, this star. It's a 14-point gold star, and it's, it's around this hole. And if you look down in that hole, it's bedrock where the cave actually was. Now, over the centuries, they have, they have taken this, this cave and they've put, like, marble floors on it and, like, they plastered it and they, that's what they do. So you can't really see what it was like, but you know that you're, you're in the place. You're in this cave where they believe, even at 300 A.D., that that's where Jesus was born. And there's some writings on, on top of that that says this. It says, here Jesus Christ was born to the Virgin Mary. And then you can walk outside of this church and you can go to this place. This is a modern picture of what they call the shepherd's field. The shepherd's field is where they believe this exact same place, because they still use it today, 2,000 years later, is where the sheep go to graze. It's one of the only places around Bethlehem that they would have done this. And this is where the angels appeared to the shepherds. Pretty crazy. And the shepherds, they said, hey, let's go find this baby Jesus. So they go into town and they find Jesus down in the cave below the house. Pretty awesome. I show you all that to tell you this. This is not a fairy tale, right? This is not a, a cartoon. This is not something that's so far away that it's, it's untouchable. You can really go and see this and be there. So the Bible says the word became flesh. What can we take away from that? What can we hang on to because of that? I think there's three world changing statements that come from this passage today. Here's the first one. If Jesus did not become human, if the word did not become flesh, then he cannot be tempted. I think that's really important for us to understand, that Jesus was completely and fully tempted just like us. And here's what that means for us. It means that he understands. Like, there's a relationship there. that He understands how you feel. He understands what you have gone through. And man, whether you're a teenager or you're a senior adult in this room, everybody goes through a lot of stuff in this life. A lot of pain, a lot of suffering. What the Bible is saying is that Jesus has done the exact same thing. He knows how you feel. Hebrews 4 says this about Jesus. This high priest, talking about Jesus, of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faces all the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. So he was perfect in the middle of all that. And we are not, right? So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So not only does Jesus understand what we're going through, but he becomes our advocate in front of the Father up in heaven on our behalf. Because he knows exactly what we're thinking. He knows exactly the struggles that we have, and yet he was without sin. If he did not become fully man, he couldn't have gone through that, right? It would have been all fake. That's really important to understand. Here's the second thing that's really important. If Jesus did not become human, he could not be our example. We would not have an example for us to follow in this life. And honestly, that's kind of what the Christian life is about, is entrusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior and then trying to live like him. 
It's like when you carry around, back in the day, we said those what would Jesus do bracelets, right, the WWJD bracelets. And the purpose of those, kind of silly, but the purpose is profound. It's, it's for us to think in a daily manner of what would Jesus do in that situation. He becomes our example. We can go to Scripture and say he was fully man, and here's how he lived. So I should probably try to live like him. Look what Ephesians says. Ephesians 5 says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us, and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. It says, follow the example of Christ. He is our example of how to live, how to respond in certain situations, when it's easy to like lash out or get even and all those kind of things. We can look to scripture and see how he actually lived. Not as this God that just kind of floated around like a mist, but as a, a real human being that was tempted. Can you imagine the temptation Jesus felt to like get even <laughs> when people were causing him pain? But he never did. He lived differently, and he's an example for us. Here's another one. Here's another statement. If Jesus did not become human, he could not die. Think about that. This is the reason Jesus came to this earth, to die for our sins. First Timothy says this. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he kind of puts this in there, and this is great about Paul. He says, I am the worst of them all. Amen? Right? We're all can, can say that. And he says, this is the purpose of Jesus becoming fully man, is to come into the world to save us. How does he save us? He dies for us. And without this incarnation of God becoming man fully and completely, Christ could not actually die. He couldn't really die. It would be fake. And then the cross is meaningless. His death becomes meaningless. The word became flesh. We, we call Jesus something. We call him this name Emmanuel. We sang about it a while ago. And what Emmanuel means is God with us. It's mentioned three times in Scripture, twice in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, prophesying 700 years before Jesus, talking about Jesus. And then Matthew recognized that. He wrote it in his gospel at the very beginning in chapter 1, saying, this Jesus, he is the Emmanuel. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. The word became flesh. It's a powerful message. That is the purpose of Christmas. It is the Christmas message. And John wrote, at the, I love this, John wrote at the very end of his gospel to describe why he, he said what he said at the very beginning of his gospel. And here's what he says about, when he's talking about the word and about Jesus. He says this, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He's saying the reason, I use the, the phrase, the word, the reason I'm describing Jesus becoming fully man, the reason of all of this theology, all this understanding of God, all this deep stuff is so that you would understand that Jesus is the Christ. And this is not some fairy tale, some make-believe thing. You can go there today and you can see it. He really is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. God came to this earth for you. 
That's amazing. That's what Christmas is all about. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for Jesus, your son. And we may not understand how you make it all happen, but we trust you. We thank you for Jesus becoming fully a man so that we can understand how to live. That we can have this relationship with him because he knows what we're going through. And thank you that Jesus became fully a man so that he could die on our behalf, on the cross to pay for our sins, that there was a literal blood that was shed. We thank you, God, that the stories in Scripture are not myth, they're not legend, they're real. And we can go back and we can, we can, we can go and see those places today and touch the rock that Jesus walked on and see the field where the shepherds were out there when the angels appeared. You are real and you're true. So I pray for people today who may be hearing this and saying, I don't believe in Jesus. I think this is all fake. I pray that maybe today would be the day that they would follow you. They would, they would lay their life before you, confess their sins and trust in you as Lord and Savior because you are real. I pray, God, they would come and tell one of us. They would, they would say something to someone. We can celebrate what God is doing in their life. For us, God, who have been believers for a long time, but maybe we're kind of, we've been kind of arms linked about all this. I pray that today, be able to see these pictures, be able to read the scripture, understanding what Jesus has, has truly done on our behalf, that it would bring us in and draw us near. This Christmas, God, I pray that we would know you more. We'd have more intimacy with you than ever before. And we'd fully be able to grasp the implications of the word becoming flesh. Thank you for teaching us today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Central, why don't we stand and just uh, thank God for this love that stepped into humanity to take our place. I'll just sing just a little bit today, just to respond. God, 
Well, if you've never said yes to Christ, if you've never accepted that love, that free gift today, I hope that you'll make that choice. And we'd love to visit with you over at our connection room and we dismiss in just a moment. Maybe you just need prayer about something this Christmas season, we'll be there for you as well. Or perhaps you're interested in joining this central family and you wanna to talk to one of us about that. We can uh, help you join our church as well. But let's end our service today by saying our purpose statement and uh, it reminds us what we're gonna be doing when we leave this place. Central Baptist, we exist to live for Christ, love people and make disciples. Y'all have a great week.